0: Why did Yahshua speak in parables? What was the purpose? What was the point? What was he trying to accomplish? For Matthew 13, we're going to be spending a lot of time in Matthew 13. So this will be the second time you'll uh, hear most of this. So Matthew 13, and because the uh, passages are a little bit more lengthy, I'm going to read this from scripture. So, you can listen, you can follow along by turning with me to Scripture, but Matthew 13. And again, as we've read through the uh, Evangel reading, Matthew thir- 13 is all about Yahshua's parables. So we're going to read verses 10 through 17. It says, there, and the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? You'll know, see, Yahshua, The the, uh, disciples did not understand why either. Verse 11, it says, And he answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. So that's the reason he spoke in parables. Verse 12 says, For whosoever hath to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whoever hath not from him shall be taken away, even that he hath. And, you know, we'll see that concept again in the parable of the ten talents. Verse 13, therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophet Isaiah, which says, By hearing you shall hear, and shall you not understand, and seeing you shall see, and shall not perceive. For these people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see, with their eyes and they're with their ears and should understand in their hearts and should be converted and I should heal them. Now that is a quote from the book of Isaiah. So we find here why Yahshua spoke in parables. You know, based on what he says here, I view parables and I'm in the world of technology for those who may not know for my professional job. And uh, so for me, this reminded me of encryption. Encryption. Let me read to you what encryption is. And you tell me if this does not sound a lot like encryption. This is from Wikipedia, a very trustworthy source, right? It works for today. Encryption. It does a pretty good job. So it says, Encryption is the process of encoding a message or information in such a way, now listen, it says that only authorized parties can access it, and those who are not authorized cannot. Encryption does not itself prevent interference. You see, everybody here heard the parables, right? Everybody heard every word Yashua spoke. But it says, and this is again encryption, it says, but denies the intelligible content to a would-be inceptor. In an encryption scheme, the intended information or message referred, referred to as plain text is encrypted using an encryption algorithm, a cipher, generating cipher text that can be read only if encrypted. So as we find here, encryption is used to ensure that only the intended receiver not hears but understands the message. It uses what's called an algorithm and a cipher to accomplish this. Now, even though there are differences between encryption and parables, they both accomplish the same thing. And that is transmitting a message where only the intended receivers hear and understand. Everybody hears, everybody can see the encrypted message, but only those with the cipher can understand that message. And only those with Yahweh's spirit, those whom Yahweh calls can understand the message. So in Yashua's case, why was it important to conceal or hide the message? So we understand why he did this. But what was the purpose? Why did he conceal deliberately the message? I believe this goes back to the fact that not everybody is called today. Not everybody is meant to hear the message, to understand the message, to act upon the message. It's important to realize that the Bible speaks about two resurrections, one resurrection will occur at Yashua's coming. The other resurrection will occur after the thousand-year millennium, after the time when Yash is going to reign and rule on this earth. first resurrection will happen when Yashua returns. And as we also see in Scripture, 1 Corinthians 15, this resurrection will be one of spirit. We're going to be resurrected from flesh to spirit. Now, the resurrection at the end of the millennium, again, the second resurrection, also known as the Great White Throne Judgment, this resurrection occurs after Yahshua's coming, again, at the end of the millennium, and I believe is a physical resurrection. I'm not going to go into why that is, but I believe that this is a physical resurrection. So we see two resurrections, they occur at different times and in different forms. One is a spiritual resurrection, one is a physical resurrection. So through these parables, Yahshua was communicating and sharing the good news, if you will, of the kingdom. These encrypted messages to those intended to receive the message. Now we also see here that this parable goes back to Isaiah. The whole concept of parables ushers back to Isaiah. It says, hearing you shall not hear and not understand. You see, as I understand it, the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah was told to prophesy, but the intention was not necessarily for repentance. It was as a witness, as a witness. So he spoke, he prophesied, but it was a witness. So let's now talk about some of Yahshua's parables. And today we're going to focus on several parables, many, maybe all of them, maybe one or two less, but most in the book of Matthew uh, twenty chapter 23, or uh, 13, sorry, and a few additional ones beyond that. We're going to be focusing on Yahshua's calling, Yahshua's judgment, and we'll also see parables about the kingdom. You know, one of the most important parables we find within the Word is the parable of the sower. Now again, this one's also found in Matthew 13. So let's read. I'm going to read the parable, and then I'm going to read the explanation based on what Yahshua said later to the disciples. So, in Matthew 13, and again, I don't have the scripture on the slide today, but Matthew 13, we're going to read 3 through 8, and then we're going to drop down to 18 through 23. So, Matthew 13, 3 through 8, it says, And he spoke many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprang up because they had no deepness of earth. You know, by the way, this still occurs in Israel. Something I kind of uh, learned a little bit more about this year is they call it goat grass. And goat grass is barley that is grown in very rocky soil. It's not very good soil. It doesn't have good uh, uh, moisture. And what happens with barley in that condition is it, it springs up, but it's not healthy barley. In fact, goat grass, Abib goat grass can occur in the 11th month because of this artificial growth. And that's goat grass. That's what we see here. This is goat grass. This is why that happens is there's no no depth. It's bad soil. So verse 6, it says, when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. And the same fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. So let's skip down to verse 18. 18 through 23, we find Yahshua explaining this parable again. He says, Hear you therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and understands it not, then comes a wicked one and Catches away that which was sown in his heart, that is, he which received seed by the wayside. But he that received the seed into stony places, the same as he that hears the word, and anon with joy receives it. Yet hath he not root in himself, but endureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, word By and by he is offended or led astray. He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that hears the word and the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. And lastly here we find, but he that received seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understands it, which also bears fruit. Now notice here, not all fruit is the same It says, and which also bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. So, what is the lesson behind this parable? Yahshua responds here. He's speaking about those people who hear the word and how they respond. And we find here that the responses are different. Now, the seed here represents the word, Yahweh's word, the truth. So, what are some of the scenarios we find within this passage? Or scenario one is when someone hears a word, but before they can respond, we find here that Satan snatches it away. He removes that seed. He removes that word. You know, let me give you an example. You know, let's say someone finds one of our booklets. But before they begin reading it, they are distracted by Satan the devil. I believe he can do that. He can distract those who receives the word in a way that they will never then have the opportunity to hear that word. Scenario two is when someone hears a word, but allows the tribulations of this world and of life to pull them away. Again, I've seen examples of this. In many cases, these trials come from our own families. I've seen many believers come into the faith, and then a father or mother or a spouse or even a child in some cases will discourage that believer and that believer will eventually leave the faith. Scenario three is when someone hears a word and receives a word but because of their love for the world eventually they compromise and go astray. Again I've seen this, I'm sure you've seen this where they have a love for Yahweh's word but they have a greater love for the world and when that happens They go astray. You know, one of the truths that's absolutely important for us to understand as believers is that we cannot live both for the world and for Yahweh. You just can't. Now, we have to live in the world. We know that. And there are certain things we have to do to live and and to exist in this world. But we can't live for the world and for Yahweh. You know, Yahshua illustrated this very well when he said that we could not serve both Yahweh and Mammon. In other words, we had to choose, and we have to choose now. So again, they are led astray because they love the world. And lastly here, Yahshua speaks about those who hear the word, they receive the word, and they produce fruit. And these are those who are called and chosen. These are The saints, I believe, those who respond in a way that shows that devotion. You know, one thing I believe many people kind of miss is the fact that not everybody here produces the same percentage or the same number of fruit. It says here that some produce 30, others produce 60, and yet others produce a hundredfold. So what's the meaning of this? What's the meaning of this? What are we to take away from this? Where I believe this shows that from those called and chosen, that not everybody will show the same level of devotion or sacrifice. Again, I've seen examples of this within the assembly. Some members will simply go further than others. And that's the way it is. Some will give that 30-fold. Some will give that 60-fold. Some will give that 100-fold. They go all the way with it. And I believe this is what Yahshua is conveying here. That we can all produce fruit, but we may not all produce the same amount of fruit. Some will go further. Some will show more devotion. Some will show more dedication. Some will show more sacrifice than others. So in this parable, I believe we find lessons within lessons. Now in Matthew 25, so let's skip over to Matthew 25, starting in verse 1. We find another parable, and this is about judgment. Judgment. And uh, and I'm sure many, if not all of us, are familiar with this. Matthew 25, this is of the ten virgins. So, Matthew 25, we're going to read verses 1 through 13. It says, There then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto the ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarrieth, they all slumbered and slept. You see, they only planned for so long, not long enough. And at midnight there was a cry, May behold, the bridegroom comes, Go you out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lambs. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lambs are gone out. But the wise answered, to Saying not so, lest there be not enough for us, and you, and, and you, but go you rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in and with him to the marriage. And the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Master, Master, open to us. And he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man comes. For the kingdom of heaven, and as is a man traveling, we're going to stop there. So in this parable, we find ten virgins. Five who were wise and five who were foolish. What were the differences? Why were five foolish and five wise? What were the differences? Well, the wise were prepared. They had the oil, the additional oil. The foolish did not. They were not prepared. You know, one of the lessons here that, that, we're to, that we find is that we're to think ahead. And that we're to prepare, be prepared for Yahshua's coming. So as believers, we're to be proactive, I believe. We're to show initiative. We're to show drive. We're to show devotion. We're to show dedication. We're not to, again, live like the world. We're to be all in. I believe that's how we are prepared. Now, there's another spiritual lesson to be found here through this oil. What does this represent? Well, many believe that the oil represents uh, the Holy Spirit. I think there's one issue with this is, you know, Scripture says that we cannot buy the Holy Spirit. I don't believe that this is a Holy Spirit. So what does it symbolize? So I believe the oil represents Yahweh's Word. Proverbs twenty-three, twenty-three says, Buy the truth and sell it not. So again, I believe that the oil here represents Yahweh's Word. Are we digging into Yahweh's Word? Do we understand Yahweh's Word? Are we taking time out? And listen, I know life is busy. I know many of us, we have priorities and we have families and we have work and we have this and we have that. But are we taking time out to study, to understand? Because listen, if we're not taking the time to study, I believe we may be left out. And this is one of the lessons we find here through this parable, that we are to study, that we are to understand the truth. We have to dig into the truth. We have to spend time with the Word. Do we spend time with the Word? You know, we find two examples of this, I believe from the Apostle Paul. 2 Timothy 2.15, he says this, he says, study to show thyself approved unto Elohim a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. How do you suppose we rightly divide the word of truth? Where it's not real complicated, we understand the truth. Now, this happens two ways, I believe. Number one, we pray for understanding and knowledge. Number two, it happens when we dig into the word. You see, we must read again and spend time with the word if we're going to understand and be able to rightly divide now paul also says in first thessalonians 5 verse 21 prove all things hold fast to that which is good how do we prove all things or well, again we get into the word we study the word you know i believe that the wise virgins are those who studied they found themselves approved they knew the word while the five foolish virgins are those who went through life without ever proving what they believed is truth And at the end, they found themselves outside because they were not doing what they should have been. You know, we see many examples of foolish virgins in in this day and age. People who simply take the word of their minister. People who simply follow the traditions of the day without ever really taking the time to verify or confirm whether that is true. You know, as believers in the Messiah, we are commanded to prove what we believe is truth. And I believe every person in this room has a responsibility to take the time to study to prove to know your Bible to know the truth to know what he says within the word now one more thought here with this parable you know I believe it's referring to the cream of the crump or to those called and chosen for this reason it's not referring to the ignorant or those not if you will in the first resurrection and I say that because again not everybody is called today some will be called later. Well, let's move on to another parable. And again, this is Matthew 25. This is a parable of the ten talents. A lot of lessons to be found within this parable, the ten talents. So we're going to continue on here. verse 14 or, uh, Chapter 25, verse 14 through 30. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country... Who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And to one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. So he doubled his talents. And likewise, he that received two, he also gained other two. So he again doubled his talents. But he that received one went and digged in the earth and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants comes and reckons with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Master, thou delivered unto me five talents. Behold... I have gained beside them five talents more. So he had ten talents. You may want to remember that. His master said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy master. Verse 22. He also that had received two talents came and said, Master, Thou deliverest unto me two talents, behold I have gained two other talents beside them. His master said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant, thou hast been faithful over a few things, I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou unto the joy of thy master. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Master, I know, knew thee, that thou art a hard man. Reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not reaped, and a And I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. So he gave him his one talent back. Verse 26, he says, His master answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful, or lazy. And you know, that's just real quickly another lesson for believers. A believer should not be lazy, and this is a penalty and the result of somebody who is lazy. Sloth or lazy servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not shrouded. Thou ought therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury or interest. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But him, him that hath not shall be taken away, even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So, what do we see in this parable? We find a man traveling to a far country, but before he goes, he gives one servant five talents, another two talents, and the last one talent. Now, before we go any further, what is a talent? Well, this word is from the Greek, talaton, refers to a sum of money. So, what happened to these men who received the five, two, and one talents? Well, the one who received five and two talents doubled where well, they were given the man who received the one talent where well, that talent was taken away now what was the master's response when he returned from his journey or the servant again who doubled their talents were given positions of authority while the man who buried his talents lost what he had and suffered punishment as a result so what's the lesson for us what do we learn what do we learn from this parable And I believe that Yahweh has given us all a special talent or gift within the body Messiah. You know, maybe you've been given the gift of evangelism, Or if you have, you're to use it to evangelize, to share the truth with others. You know, speaking about evangelism real quick, I'll put a plug in for this. During Unleavened Bread, Brother Michael Bishop's going to be doing a workshop on evangelism. And then for those brave souls... He's going to be taking a group of people to Jefferson City to evangelize. So uh, just as a uh, heads up there. Now, there's other gifts. Evangelism is one of many. Paul gives some other examples of gifts in Romans 12, verse 6 through 80. He says, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. You see, we don't all have the same gift. Yahweh doesn't want us all to have the same gift because we're to use these gifts for the furtherance and for the body of Messiah doesn't do any good if we all have the same gifts. It needs to be diverse. It says, Whether prophecy let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith or ministry, let us wait on our ministering or he that teaches on teaching or he that exhorts on exhortation or he that gives, let him do it with simplicity. He that rules with diligence, he that shows mercy with cheerfulness. You know, we see many talents. We see many gifts here, including things like encouraging others, showing mercy. These are gifts. These are talents. You know what we learn here is this as believers we must use those gifts that we've been given. We can't ignore. We can't set aside those talents. If we have a gift or a talent for something, we can't deliberately be lazy and push it off. We must use it. For those who do as we see here, they will punish they will suffer punishment. You know, the bottom line is this Yahweh wants us to be active with the talents we've been given with the gifts we've been given. And we can all contribute in some way. You know, I know some, you know, I've had pe- people come to me and say, or you know, what, what can I do? But oh, we can all do something. We can all do something. And when everybody does something, that is when you have a growing and thriving assembly. When everybody does something. But if half the assembly does nothing, well, then you don't have that growing and thriving assembly. It's only when everybody does something and again, it doesn't have to be a lot in many cases. It doesn't have to be behind the pulpit. It doesn't have to be behind a, uh, an instrument. You know, sometimes it can be simply someone who, who cares and can listen and encourage or someone who maybe is, is very generous. Whatever it is, we're to use that talent to, to further Yahweh's work. You know, in many ways, this is the same message we found in the parables of the ten virgins. Ten were wise wise. Where five were wise and five were foolish the uh, man who buried his talent here was foolish and he lost everything for it as a result so who represents the master in this parable that, that traveled back that went into a far country and came back or I, I believe that this was Yahshua the Messiah I believe it represents Yahshua's returning back to the father his long journey back home and then his second coming when he will return. This parable is a prophecy of Yashua's return and the blessings he will give to those who wisely used their talents or gifts to to help and to, and to ensure that the truth went out in some way. As believers it's important that we again strive to add to the body of Messiah, that we grow the body of Messiah, that we help others understand the truth, that we don't sit on our hands and do nothing, that we use the gifts and talents that we've been given to again Make sure that the assembly, that the body is thriving and healthy. And again, that happens when we all embrace and use our talents. For a moment, I just want to pause and I want you to think and ask yourself, am I using my gift that Yahweh has given me for his work? So just for a moment, just consider that. Think about that in your mind. Am I using the gift that Yahweh has given me to further his work? Or am I too busy? Do I have too many other priorities? Is the assembly is his word too low of a priority? Am I using my talents? We're going to move on now and talk about another parable, this time in Matthew 22. 22, and we're going to read verses 1 through 14. And this is the parable of the marriage feast, or the marriage banquet. And it says this, starting in verse 1, And Yahshua answered and spake unto them again by parables, and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king, which made a marriage feast for a son, and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding. And they would not come, they refused. Again he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them, "...which are bidden. Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage." You see, there was urgency here. But again, they made light of it, went their way, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and, and treated them spitefully, and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, he was angry. And he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Then saith he to his servants, A wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as you shall find bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good. And the wedding was finished with guests, or furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. Wedding garment, I believe that this is the truth, the truth. They had not embraced the word. And he said unto him, A friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Evidently he knew. Verse thirteen said, it Then said the king to the servants, Bid bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. So what do we again see in this parable? A lot of imagery. There's a lot of imagery here. So let's consider some of this imagery. Where it begins with a king making a marriage feast for his son. And I believe here the king represents Yahweh, the father, and the son represents Yahshua, the Messiah. We also find that the guests, they refused to come, the original guests. Where I believe that this symbolizes those of Israel of old and those who rejected Yahshua, the Messiah. The servants, I believe, are... More than likely a reference to the prophets of old. You know, we know that the prophets, they were killed in some cases because of the message they preached. Now, after the first group declined to come, we find a second group. And I believe that this second group are those of the Messiah, those who accept Yahshua as the son of Yahweh. So here's the meaning behind would accept Yahshua as a son, as Yahweh's son, the Messiah and Savior of this world. Now I want to clarify a few points. Number one, this does not mean that Israelites could not accept the truth or was not, uh, or or Gentiles, I should say, could not accept the truth in the Old Testament. This also does not mean that native-born Israelites could not accept Yahshua the New. We know that there were many Jewish believers. There were many Jewish believers. There were many Israelite believers. So this does not exclude Israelites from accepting and being part of this second these, these uh, guests in the second lot here. Number two, those of other nations who did accept Yahshua as a Messiah were grafted into the same Hebraic promise given to Abraham of old. And that's important to understand from the continuity of Yahweh's word. You know, many people, they have this crazy notion of replacement theology that we have one truth in the old and we have another truth in the new. No, we have one truth that began in the old that continues on into the new. The same word, the same covenant, the same truth that we're part of was really given to Abraham and, ex- and then expanded upon through the death of Yahshua, but nothing's really changed. The same requirements are in place, the same word is in place, the same expectations, the same obligations, it's all in place. Yahweh wanted us, wanted Israel to obey in the old, he wants us to obey in the new. There's no differences. So again, same Hebraic promise. Now, it also says here that because the first group refused the invite, that the king burned the city and cast them into outer darkness. What is this referring to? The burning of the city and casting them into this outer darkness. You know, I believe that the burning of the city more than likely a reference to the burning of Jerusalem in 70 CE. And at that point, the Jews went into into diaspora. They were scattered throughout the world. I believe this... Concept of outer darkness, they were scattered from their homeland, many of them at this point. Now we see one more lesson here in verse 14 that says, Many are called, but few are chosen. The called here represents, we've talked about the seed, the parable of the sower, where I believe the called are those seed. Some seed, again, fell on good ground, some seed was. Was so snatched away, some seed never took root, some seed was choked, or the called are those who received the seed. But the chosen are those who act upon the seed. The chosen are those who produce fruit, some thirty, some sixty, some hundred fold. So I believe that's a lesson to be found here. Not everybody called will be chosen. So we have a large group of people who are called, but we have a small group that is that are chosen. So that's the lesson to be found through these words. Well, let's move on to another parable. This time we're going to be going back to Matthew 13 and starting at verse 24. And this is a parable of the wheat and tares. So, verse 36. Actually, we're going to start at verse 24 through 30 and then drop down to verse 36. Says another parable. Put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. It sowed good seed in his field, but while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tears among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was spring up, sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares. He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Will thou that then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay or no, lest while you gather up the tares, you root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and in the time and in the time of harvest I will say to the reapers, gather you to gather first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. So verse 36, Yahshua explains this parable again. He says, Then Yahshua sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came into unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said unto them, He that sows a good seed is the Son of Man, the field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The, The enemy that sowed them is the devil, the harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and then that do iniquity. And shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be the wailing and the gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as a sun in the kingdom of their father, who hath ear ears to hear, let him hear. So what do we find here? We know that this parable is about the kingdom. This parable is about the kingdom and Yahshua's coming. For the man who sowed the good seed here represents who? That was Yashua the Messiah. The enemy represents Satan the devil. The field, again, the world. The good seed represents the called and chosen. Again, not only those called, but those who are chosen, those who produced fruit. The tares represent the sons of the wicked one or those who follow the ways of Satan the devil. The reapers represents the angels in heaven. So the symbolism here is that when Yahshua returns, he's going to send forth his angels and they're going to gather first who? It says that they're going to first gather the tares and they're going to burn the tares. And then after this, he will then gather the elect, the called and chosen. Now, for a moment, for a moment, I want you to think about how this chronology fits into the rapture. Think about it. You you probably came to the same conclusion I did. It doesn't. It doesn't fit. Rapture says that the righteous are taken before the wicked. Here it says that the wicked are taken before the righteous. It doesn't fit. So when Yasra comes, will we be counted as wheat or tares? Are we gonna be approved or not approved? You know, just because we're in this room or we're listening online does not guarantee our position. You know, we know in Scripture that it's possible to fall from grace. Here's what Paul says. I really admire the Apostle Paul. I think Paul was a great man. But Paul understood that he himself could be a castaway. Here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 27. He says, but I keep control of my body and bring into, into subjection. Some will say he, he makes it a slave. Lest... That by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. You see, Paul realized that he could preach the word, that he could share the truth, that he could could serve as an apostle and still miss the mark. And that is true for each one of us in this room. And that's one reason why it's important that we never give in, that we never deviate, that we never compromise. You know, also remember what we find in Ezekiel 18. In Ezekiel 18, we find that the prophet is saying, it's not what we do in the beginning, it's what we do in the end. You know, we can spend 60 great years serving Yahweh, and we can willfully, deliberately reject him in the last 10 years. And those 60 years will mean nothing. It is so important that we devote every day to the one we worship, and that we never deviate from that goal, that we never deviate from that path. And we see a similar parable to this in Matthew 13, starting in verse 47. This is a parable of the dragnet. It says there, So shall it be at the end of... Actually, let me read this from Scripture here. I'm starting to read the slide. Okay, Matthew 13, we're going to read verses 47 through 52. This is again the kingdom of heaven is likened to a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind, every kind of fish which when it was full they drew to shore and sat down and gathered the good into vessels but cast the bad away so shall be at the end of the world the angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just and shall cast them into the furnace of fire there shall be the wailing and the gnashing of teeth you see the wailing and the gnashing of teeth is simply i believe a metaphor of yahweh's punishment Of Yahweh's punishment, and we find this multiple times, that those who willingly, deliberately go astray, that there is going to be punishment, and it's going to be severe, there's going to be anguish as a result. Verse 51, Yahshua said unto them, have you understood all these things? They say unto him, yes, master. Then said he unto them, therefore, every uh, scribe which is instructed unto the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder which brings forth out of his treasure things new and old. So again, we find another parable here. And this is really the same message as we found in the previous parable. Here a man throws a net into the sea. He brings a net up out of the sea. They divide the fish. They throw the bad fish away and they gather the good fish in the vessel where the man who separates the fishes symbolizes the angels in heaven the angels in heaven will separate the wicked from the righteous when they come many people are going to be afraid they're going to be in dread they will know that their day of reckoning is at hand in which they will pay for the sin for their iniquity that they committed willfully deliberately committed Now, for the elect, the opposite will be true. One of my favorite scriptures is Luke 21, 28. Luke 21 is part of the Olivet Prophecy. What are the other two? Real quick. Okay, I'm not hearing anybody. Matthew 24, Mark 13. Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21. should be able to just rattle those off. Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21. That's not going to be on the quiz, by the way. It's just important to know. All right, Luke 21, 20 says this. It says, When these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draws nigh. So that is the day that hopefully you and I will have, that, that, we're going to, that we're going to be able to stand in boldness and confidence knowing that we've done everything we could to live for the truth of Almighty Yahweh and that we've been found worthy And that we will look up and we will see the angels coming down from from the sky, literally. It's hard to even envision this happening. But it will happen. Yahshua is going to return, and when he does, he's going to send his angels throughout the world. They will gather the elect, and then the elect will be changed. And the elect will then meet Yahshua in the clouds. As he descends to this earth. This will happen. It's going to be an awesome day. I'm going to change uh, focus now. I'm going to read just a few more parables. All of them focusing on the kingdom. The growth of the kingdom. So the next one here is a parable of the mustard seed. And this is Matthew thirteen thirty-one through 32. You have all the text on the slide this time. It says, another parable put he forth into them, unto them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed, a very small seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs, and bringeth and becometh a tree, so that the birds of the earth come and lodge in the branches thereof. Yashua here compares the kingdom to a mustard seed. As it says here, mustard seed is very small, but grows into something very large. And Yahweh's kingdom is the same way. You know, I don't believe many understand Yahweh's plan of salvation fully, and maybe we don't either. But I think we have a pretty good understanding of of what it includes. You see, Yahweh's kingdom is going to grow in time. It's going to begin with Yahshua's coming. It's going to begin with the gathering of the saints, with the elect, with the called and chosen. It's going to begin with the expansion of the millennium. And then after the millennium, we have the great white throne judgment in which we will see the remainder of mankind judged. And many of them, I believe, will be resurrected to eternal life. Again, growth of Yahweh's kingdom. This is a parable depicting the growth of Yahweh's kingdom. As Yahweh's kingdom starts very small, is going to expand into something great. And it's going to take time, I believe, if we understand fully his plan. It begins, I believe, with his coming, and it will will perhaps end perhaps at the second resurrection. But scripture also says there is no end to his creation. Maybe that tree will continue to grow from that very small once seed from which, from which it came. So let's focus on the last two parables. I'm going to read these together. And this is a parable of the hidden treasure and also the parable of the pearl of great price. So Matthew thirteen forty four forty-six. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure, hid in a field, with the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy therefore goes and sells all that he hath, and buyeth that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man, seeking goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had, and bought it. You know, the lesson here is simple. There is nothing greater than Yahweh's kingdom. You know, we often say here, at least I often say, that the destination is worth, a, worth the effort. The destination here is Yahweh's kingdom. And I can assure you, no matter what effort we it requires from us, it is worth the effort. No matter what we go through in life, no matter what we endured, and by what trials or tribulations we may face, it is worth it. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9, said this, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which Elohim hath prepared for those who love him. You know, we also know from Scripture that in the kingdom there will be no more death, there will be no more sorrow, there will be no more pain, we will have no more health issues, there will be no more anguish, will we be perfect. And everything around us will be perfect according to Yahweh's word. Yeah, you know, I don't believe we can even fully comprehend the greatness of this promise today, how great it will be to be within Yahweh's kingdom. The thought of everlasting life, being with our Savior forever is really beyond our grasp of understanding, at least now. Well, this is why Yahshua compares Yahweh's kingdom to a hidden treasure or to a pearl of great price. You see, they, they they found that pearl, and, and he sold everything he had so that he could purchase that one pearl. And that's how we should look at the kingdom. We should be willing to take everything we have and take that and exchange that for the kingdom. That's the message we find here. No matter what we have in life, no matter what the cost, no matter, no matter how hard it is, no matter how much of a sacrifice it is, we're to do it. The kingdom is worth it. That's the message we find here. You know, as we've seen through this message, the parables that Yahshua gave provide many, many insights. Many, many prophetic insights. In fact, again, many, most of them are prophetic in nature. They focus on the calling. They focus on his judgment. They focus on the greatness and the growth of his coming kingdom. So as believers, let us make this our focus. Let us ensure that we are devoting time to his word. And that we're willing to sell that everything we have, to give everything we have for that pearl of great price, for that coming kingdom. So now, since we've expounded upon Yahweh's word, we're going to transition to see how we do. So, this is the instructions for those who may not, again, be yet familiar with this. It's pretty simple iPad, smartphone, doesn't matter. You can go to polevy.com slash YRM survey 633. Or it's pretty simple. You can text to uh, 22333. So, like you, you put your phone number on top, it's 22333. And in the message, you type YRM survey 633. So, again, it's YRM survey 6332 uh, the easiest way, but you would have already had to do this, is that you have to download the app. And uh, that is, uh, you simply go to the uh, App Store, whatever it is for Android. I don't have Android, but uh, simply do the uh, pull everywhere and then enter Wirem Survey 633 when you join. All right, I think we're good. So I'm going to let you take over Lucas. As I see people feverishly trying to uh, connect here. Is it working? Okay. I see only a blue. When I see a blue screen, it makes me nervous. Okay. So, we're going to activate and show responses. So, how many unique parables did Yahshua provide in the New Testament? How many unique parables did Yahshua provide in the New Testament? So, we got 12, and that's A, by the way. Uh, 24, 36, or 48? So how many unique parables did Joshua provide in the New Testament between Matthew, Mark, and Luke? Okay. So I think I repeated this two or three times. It's 81%. Or, I'm sorry, 36. So the 80... Three, uh, See, now they're now they're putting in their votes, okay. So 80, 85%, very good, 85%. Okay, let's move on. The book of Matthew provides how many parables of Yahshua or by Yahshua? So we got 10, 15, 20, or 25. So 10, 15, 20, or 25. How many parables do we find of Yahshua in the book of Matthew? Now, I also repeated this at least twice. You may get into the habit of taking notes. Okay, so I'm going to give you just a few more moments. So right now, 15 or uh, 83% are saying he gave 15. All right, I'm going to give it Let's give it five more seconds. Five more seconds to answer the answer here. All right, let's lock the quiz or lock the question here. And the question is, or the answer is 15. So 84%. I'm starting to see a theme, 85%. I got the last one right, 84% this time. Okay, well, let's move on. To what did I compare parables to? Pictorial Hebrew Masoretic vowel points, ghosting, or encryption? Pictorial Hebrew, the Masoretic vowel points, ghosting, that's a thing, by the way, or encryption. Okay, so let's see here. 94% of you said encryption, or I think you're right. Okay, let's move on. In Yashua's parable of the sower, what were the percentages of those who produced fruit? 10, 20, or 20, 10, 20, 20, 25, 50, 75, 30, 60, 100, or 80, 90, and 100. So what were the percentages of those who produced fruit? So we got 76 saying 30, 60, 100, 17-ish percent saying 80, 90, 100, and then 6% saying 25, 50, and 75. No one is saying 10, 20, or 30, uh, 20. It's kind of low fruit, so maybe that's an obvious one. Okay, I think we're good. So 75%, not too bad. Although I was kind of expecting in the 90s with that one there, but I can't get everything I want. Okay. And the parable of the ten virgins, how many were foolish? We got two, five, eight, or ten. Now, if this isn't a give me, I'm not sure what is. You could have almost been asleep and gotten this one right. Okay. So let's see here. How many were foolish? How many were foolish? So 3% is saying 2% or 2 were foolish, 81% is saying 5 were foolish. And thirteen, eight were foolish, and three of you believe that they were all foolish. (laughs) Uh, Sorry. (laughs) So eighty-two percent of you are right. Five were foolish. Okay, now this one I was thinking, I actually did this wrong a little bit. So let me let me put a disclaimer on this one. So I'm gonna read it, but don't put anything down yet. So it says in this parable, the 10 talents, how many talents, uh, I can't see it now, did the uh, men have who received five, two, and one? Now, the one just, and I'm, I'm going to give you a little bit of the answer, but the one who had one, it was taken away and given to another. Don't include that. When it was given, given away to the other, don't include that. But include that it was taken away. So hopefully that makes sense. I forgot about the one part of the equation. So, I got 520, 521, 1040, 1041. Okay, so some are saying it doesn't make sense. All right, so let me explain it to you. So, in the parable of the talents, we had three men, right? One man got five talents, one man got two talents, one man got one talent. So, the 520, for instance, That would say that at the end, the one who received five talents had five talents. In the end, the one who received two talents had two talents. In the end, the one who received one talent had zero talents. Okay, so it's pretty simple, not real complicated, although I can see how all those numbers might throw a few people off. Okay, so... Okay, we got a lot, you know, see people are doing this last minute, I, I think just to kind of feel good to get the right answer. So 37% of you got this one right. That's kind of low, but there was math involved. There was math involved. I do understand that. So ten four zero. Now the right answer, the, the most right answer, which wasn't on here, should have been eleven four zero. That's, that That was the most right answer. I forgot about that last part of the equation. Because the man who... Had the one talent, his one talent was given to the man who had five talents. So five plus five plus one equals anybody? Eleven. Eleven. So the right answer really is eleven four zero. But C is the closest to the right answer. And if you would have listened to my disclaimer, C is right. There, there's no quite no comments. I, Vanek's uh, B- already challenging that he does this every time we do a poll. I, okay. Talk. Talk to me later. Okay. Um, Okay. So in the parable of the wedding feast, who represented the guests who refused to come? Those of Israel who rejected Yahshua, the Jews who believed in Yahshua, the Gentiles who converted to Judaism, those who accepted Yahshua as their savior. So who represented those who refused to come? Refused to come. So we got... 94% of you saying that it represented those who rejected Yahshua. Are you sure it wasn't those Gentiles who later converted to Judaism? By the way, that was happening. That was happening as part of the uh, issue we find in the book of Galatians. They were trying to convince those coming in to to go back to the sacrificial system. Okay, 94% of you are right. And uh, they, they, it represents those who rejected Yahshua. Okay, moving on. In the parable of the wheat and tares, who represented the man who sowed the good seed? Isaiah the prophet, John the Baptist, Yahshua, or Yahweh? So who represented the man who sowed the good seed? Isaiah the prophet. Remember, now, I may be saying this to throw you off a little bit, but Isaiah is mentioned somewhere within the Bible. Isaiah the prophet, John the Baptist, Yahshua, or Yahweh. Okay, let's get let's show the answer. So it's Yahshua the Messiah. That is the man who sowed the good seed. Okay, we got a few more. And the parable of the wheat and tares, who represented the enemy who sowed the tares? The anti-Messiah, Satan, the devil, unbelieving Jews, those who reject Yahshua the Messiah. The anti-Messiah, Satan, the devil, unbelieving Jews are those who reject the Messiah. So who represented the uh, enemy who sowed the tares? Okay, I think we have this one down it's 76 Although, again, I was hoping for closer to that 100 mark, but, but that's okay. Okay, in the parable of the dragnet. What does the fisherman do with the bad fish? Cast them away, prepares them for dinner, throws them back into the lake, or burns them in the fires of Gehenna. I was especially proud of that last one there. Burns them in the fires of Gehenna. You may want to think twice about that one. So he casts them away, prepares them for dinner, throws them back into the lake, or burns them in the fires of Gehenna. So which one is it? Okay. I I think we're good with this one. 72%, 73% is right. They uh, cast the fish away. Okay. And I think this is the last one. The parable of the mustard seed refers to what? The body Messiah, Yahweh's kingdom, we will show the answer the growth of the early assembly or Paul's third missionary trip so what does it represent the body of Messiah, Yahweh's kingdom the growth of the assembly or Paul's third missionary trip okay I think we're good so 81% of you are right. It represents Yahweh's kingdom. So how did we do? Did we do pretty good? Who got, who got 100 right? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. My wife saw the answers, though. I, I'm surprised she would have raised her hand. She had those answers memorized. So how many missed just one? Just one. Okay, just just two. Okay, I won't go any further. So So, I hope that's been a blessing to you and I want to wish you a good week. Yahweh's blessings upon you. And uh, may Yahweh bless.